You're listening to the podcast of Wind River Community Church, located in Lander, Wyoming, featuring sermons by Pastor Ken Simon. For more information on us, please visit windriverchurch.com. Faith is the essence of our Christian life, and C.S. Lewis describes faith like this. Now, faith, in the sense in which I am here using the word, is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted. In spite of your changing moods, for moods will change, whatever view your reason takes. And then the next question I have is, does your faith, what you believe, come from this? Or is it some sort of philosophy and you've kind of twisted it into your own understanding? See, we live in this reality today where we like convenience. We like things easy. We have a lot of information at our fingertips. Vehicles are much more reliable. We can get to the other side of the world in less than a day. And we're also skeptical. Because of that convenience, we can look up information. That knowledge, I mean, knowledge has just been more available than it's ever been before. We also identify with things. We identify with causes. Maybe you're for the fight against AIDS or a fight against poverty or whatever it is, we may identify ourselves with our workplace or, you know, our school. Whatever it is, we identify. And more recently, more than ever, people value authenticity and transparency. They want you to be real. They don't want you to be fake and put up a front. And the church is subject to this culture and reality in which we're living in right now. The convenience, church is not necessarily convenient. I got to go to church on Sunday. You know, it, it seems more of a task. Skeptical, can I trust what the church is teaching me, the way they're going? People aren't necessarily finding their identity in Christ. They're finding their identity in different social causes, in work, different activities they're involved in. And unfortunately... People who do not believe see church people as fake. I'm not saying that you're fake, but there's a persona. People are seeing church people as maybe happier than they really are and saying the right things instead of what they actually feel. So ultimately, this causes people to see their faith or having faith at all as irrelevant, wishy-washy, and just not for me. Now, in December of 2010, I would say I came to a crisis moment in my faith. I was leading a small group, doing a lot of different biblical studies with with them, and I just started coming up against passages that were challenging me. And I was thinking, okay, am I going to do this or not? And there were some things that challenged me. And I came to, I was reminded of Pascal's wager, and I read this uh, during my philosophy class in, at the University of Wyoming. And basically, he talks about if there's a God and we follow him, we'll reap the rewards. If we don't follow him and he exists, we reap the consequences. However, if there is no God and I follow as if there's a God, we're all going to end up in the same place anyway. So <laughs> I don't think that's the best reason to come to faith. But it was something that pushed me forward in pursuing what I, what I believe now. 
And as I was looking for more, I started preparing for business school. I was studying the GMAT, and then at the same time, I was just studying different scriptures, and I came to this epiphany, and was like, I just need to know more about what God wants me to do. And I ended up going to seminary, where I studied full-time for, full-time for three years in New York. Um, and while I was there, I was exposed to different conservative-type theologies, liberal-type theologies, historical theologies, just the way... We think about God, theology. That was my emphasis. And the biggest thing that I noticed was that the way we think about God has changed from the beginning till today. The way we talk about him, the way we express that faith has changed. And it's because there's different social circumstances that we come across. The world is different today than it was 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. And what is the church doing to adapt to these changes? Now, I brought this book up because when I went to seminary, I got this big book for this class called Systematic Theology. And in Systematic Theology, you're learning about all these different compartments about how you should think about God. And it comes from this book, the Bible. It's a lot thicker. You know, <laughs> and I think it's a very helpful book in coming to an understanding. But this is theology. This is not faith. This is just a way that we can explain and make sense of who God is. It's not your faith. As I was interacting with a variety of different people in seminary, a lot of smart people, I noticed that they were quoting theologians over scripture. And I believe that they help us, but they're just as fallible as you and I. Their understanding of what they've gotten from this scripture is going to be fallible and imperfect. Um, and, And that's just because they're in certain social circumstances, different experiences that have caused them to come to a different understanding of how God's interacting with them. Now, I like to always read different opinions, especially those that are counter to my faith, because it helps me in understanding why I believe what I believe. And I was reading, I'm still reading this book, but it's called The Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. He's a famous physicist. You may have heard of him. Um, And in that book, he described how people understood the universe as static. In other words, not expanding, just there. And he says this about Einstein. Even Einstein, when he formulated the general theory of relativity in 1915, was so sure that the universe had to be static that he modified his theory to make this possible, introducing a so-called cosmological constant into his equations. And what he's saying is, even Einstein was so attached to, to this idea of a static universe that he adjusted his formulas to match what he thought was true. Now, from the 1970s to today, it is a widely accepted fact in physics that the universe is dynamic, expanding. And I don't think this is something that should harm our faith. I think it's 
just us getting a greater understanding of God's creation. But it reminded me of what's happened in history in our faith. During the Reformation, Martin Luther, during the 1500s, challenged what the authority of faith was. And he said, this is the authority of faith, not what the popes and the councils decree. This caused him to be considered a heresy or a heretic. And what a heresy is, is basically challenging the common belief. And until it becomes common belief, it is heresy. But we can all be uh, happy that he challenged the status quo because we now look at this, and I'm here talking from this, because of people like him who step out and challenge where we're at. Now, faith is what we hold on to. It's trusting in Jesus. This does not change. Is this your faith? Do you know what you believe? Do you know what it means for your decisions every day? So we're faced with social and cultural problems, and our theology is going to get messy. And the way we handle things are going to get messy. But that doesn't mean our faith is going to be shaky. It doesn't have to be. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 3, 7 through 13. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of his mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. In in uh, verse 7, Paul says that he is a servant of this gospel. There's two words for servant in the Greek, two commonly used words. The first one is dolos, and the second, diokonos. Dolos means slave. And when you use that word, you can think of some American history in being held in bondage, not having decision. Be basically, being held with your hands behind your back, you're going to do this. Diokonos is a completely different type. And this is the word that Paul uses. He says that he is a servant. And this means free servant, meaning he is under authority, under authority of the Father, God. This type of servant is free, but he's partnering under that authority. They have common interests. In verse 12, it says that Paul approaches God in freedom and confidence. 
Now, remember that Paul's a Jew, and he's preaching to Gentiles. This is messing up his theology. Remember, he had this understanding of how God is supposed to work, and this is not it. And now he was persecuting Christians, and now he's trying to uh, evangelize so that people become followers of the way. God is a reconciling God. He wants to bring people to himself. People that we see as enemies, he wants to be reconciled with. People of different genders, races, geographies, nations, he wants everyone reconciled. And that's part of what Paul was working towards, bringing people to faith in him. Now, verse 9 explains that God's wisdom was mysterious until Jesus came to show what this wisdom looked like. And Jesus, he did things. He healed people, and he served them, and he cared for them. So Jesus is obviously not present here with us right now. You can't see him or touch him. But verse 10 makes it clear that his intent now was that through us, the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known through us. Wisdom is practical. It's not some sort of philosophical idea. When Israel was obedient to God, they were to be seen as a wise nation, not because of the things they knew, but because of the things they did and the way they lived. As I said before, we face a reality where outsiders see our faith as irrelevant, wishy-washy, or maybe not for them. And maybe this does explain you. Even better, it may disturb you. I have a short video to show you. This guy calls up Libby and asks if she would like to go on a, a date to go see a movie and asks Molly asks her if she'd like to bring a friend Molly along. Just take a look at how they handle that. Hello? Hey, is this Libby? Hi, uh, who's this? Hey, this is Drew. I, I, we met the other night. We met last night. Oh, yeah. Hi. Um, <laughs> hey, I was I was wondering if you and your friend wanted to come out tonight to a show. Oh, yeah, me and my friend. Oh, uh, Molly. Yeah, yeah, Molly. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it would be, I mean, it would be really cool if you guys, I mean, if you're not doing anything and... Tonight? Um... Yeah, I mean, like, my, my friends are having, uh, having a, like a, like an art show. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I remember, uh... You mentioned that. Yeah, um, I think I talked about it. We have, yeah, at our studio, and I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds cool. Do you want to come? Sure. Um. Okay. Yeah. Bring Molly and. Uh. Okay. I'll see if um, Molly is around, and um, if you could just text me the address. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll text you guys the address. Okay. Cool. Well, I'll see you there. See you there. Bye. Malgré 
dure toujours, on s'en souvient. On se dit qu'à 20 ans, on est les rois du monde. Hey lady, hey, can I steal your eyeliner for a second? Yeah, yeah. Romper, by the way. Oh, thanks, Molly. on my mirror, too. You do? So you may be wondering what, you may be wondering why I showed that. And I showed it because that's reality. That actually happens. We compare ourselves with other people. Whether it's how much money we make, what house we live in, or what job we have, we compare ourselves with other people. In preparation for this state, they compared each other and they saw their imperfections. And they, they assumed that this guy was going to also see those imperfections. And the only way that they would be seen as the better one was to wipe out the competition. This created sort of a sense of hopelessness and debilitation to just kind of go for it. They had to wipe someone out. Um, in the church, we compare ourselves to each other as well, and this is debilitating. We may compare ourselves to others saying, this person's a little bit more charismatic, this person knows more about the Bible, this person's just a little bit more willing to serve, or maybe there's just this fear that you're being judged by the other people in the church. And it's debilitating in the sense that if they're going to do it, why am I going to do it? I'd, I'm not really necessary. I'm not really important in this whole service piece because, you know, that, that person who's a little more outgoing, they'll, they'll talk about it. Or that person who knows the Bible a little more, they'll, they'll teach about it. Or we may be in, this, in the place where we say, I'm not ready to do anything. I need to learn more. I need to become more holy. I'm not living a holy life. Or I just need to go to church more first, as if these are the things that God is looking for. Assuming that he wants you to be at some sort of level before he's going to use you. Some sort of perfect knowledge, some sort of perfect behavior that never exists. I mean, if you look at the condition of our hearts, even the people who 
may appear more holy have thoughts that go through their minds. They may not act on them, but, you know, the holiness is internal and external. But you don't have to be at a certain point. Now, going back to Paul, he was given grace by God to preach to the Gentiles. There was no how-to book, no book that was going to show him exactly what he needed to do, no instruction manual. He was preaching based on grace. It required his faith. And he did this because he was a free servant. He saw what God wanted to do, and it was reconciliation with people who did not know him. In, uh, he touches on this a little bit in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Often we can think that we need to have a certain knowledge before we can be involved. But that's not the case. It's about how we act and treat one another, the way we love people, the way we show this to people not only within this community of believers, the church, the ecclesia, but with people who do not believe and do not know. You're not expected to reach some unattainable level of holiness before you can do something. Our, third, our theology doesn't have to be perfect. We have some freedom to make mistakes. And in fact, with uh, seeing how theology just continues to sort of change based on our circumstances, this will remain constant. Our faith in who Jesus is and what he's done, but the way that we make sense of him will continue to change as our world changes. And it doesn't mean that God changes because he does not change, but we change. We learn different things, just you know, like I talked about the, the universe being more dynamic than static. Those are scientific facts, at least as far as the world sees it. And I'm not going to live my life in paradox with reality because God created this reality. It can make sense, and it does make sense. So... Faith is what's going to determine our actions. Do you know what you believe? And what are the practical implications of this if you do? In verse 12 of our passage in Ephesians, Paul says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Some of us will do this in our silent prayers. We will confess whatever we want. But I want to go a little further. Do we do this in our actions? Are we, are we uh, willing to take risks? Do we challenge our current circumstances with love? I'm going to define power because Paul says he became a, a servant through God's power. I think if we have an understanding of what this power means, it's helpful. It's helpful for me. Uh, this guy named Robert Linthicum, he was the director of World Vision International's Urban Advance when he wrote the, this book, which I think he'll pop up there. Uh, but he defines power in this way. Power is always present in all human situations because power is nothing more than the ability, capacity, and willingness of a person, a 
group of people or in an institution to act. God was willing to act as we saw in verse 7. He gave power. He was willing to come down and interact with us. His power. That was his position. Everyone has power, whether you believe or not. There is a power that everyone possesses. And now the question is, are you using the power that God has given you? Because it's through the church that the wisdom of God is supposed to be shown. And we all have these different circumstances in our lives to make things happen. And I feel like we, as a whole collective in our country at least, you know, there is debilitation from comparison. Or we don't know yet. I'm waiting till I get to some perfect knowledge. Um, you know, there is a cost to following Jesus. It's a complete surrender of your life to something more than yourself. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus explains this to his disciples as he sends uh, 72 disciples around Israel. This is what he says in Luke chapter 10, verses 16 through 19. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever... Yeah. The 72 who returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. God's working through the church with this same power that he gave Paul and these disciples. Those who reject us are rejecting God the Father. And, you know, there's no how-to manual for the future. Things are changing. Our future is changing. But we can see how God has worked in the past and see his eternal truths through this book, through the word, through his word. God's grace is strong and it remains. You know, when, when he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, he's giving us power to make mistakes. He's extending grace to us. Because before, we could easily have to follow such behavior in such ways that it becomes debilitating. And nothing actually happens. But God has extended grace to us. Now, this doesn't have to look like going on a mission trip or setting up some sort of nonprofit. In 1 Corinthians 3.5, he points out, Paul points out that the Lord assigns us to different tasks. This is a whole collective. There are, whatever position you're in, wherever you're at work, whatever um, organization you're involved in, that's the place that he has you. Now, I want to come to a, a conclusion on, what, on this idea of our reality as servants. And I called this the reality of a servant because I assume that you're looking to serve and maybe be a disciple. Um, you may have interest in what that looks like. Um, we're under God's authority. We have freedom to make mistakes and we're expected to do something with God. We're servants with God. 
He does not need us, but he does use us. A servant today faces different challenges which will require different approaches and ways of doing things. It does not mean God is changing, but it does mean that the way we understand him in our world does change. Remember, faith seems irrelevant, wish-washy, and not for people on the outside. And that's disturbing to me because I am fully... I believe that if God is who he says he is and what he's trying to do, there's no greater cause than the reconciliation of his people with him. It's relevant for everyone. I'm not, I'm not talking about watering down and saying, you know, we just need to make it easier for people. But the way that we live our lives does have an impact on that. So, uh, you know, there's real challenges in our daily lives. God's manifold wisdom is to be made through us. So I ask, who have you been comparing yourself to that has debilitated your ability to serve? The reality is this Christian stuff, you know, being a Christian, it's kind of messy. And the way we think about God is not going to fit into some box. It's not going to fit into this book because, you know what, I've seen... Things happen that aren't necessarily neatly boxed. And if you feel like you're on the outside, I want you to know that this isn't a club and everyone's welcome. God saves all who seek him by grace through faith in Jesus. He created us to do good works, yes, but the relationship and reconciliations you can have with the creator of the universe is on your faith. Simply pray for it and ask. It's going to cost your life if you want it. So just know that up front. Okay? You can't have two feet in and out. But at least you know what it's going to cost. If you're debilitated, think of your circumstances. The world needs you right where you are. Now, just recognize where you're at. And if you don't know where you're at and you don't know what you can do, ask God to reveal it to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, we, would, we would take risks. I pray that we would look at the circumstances that we have And that we would see them as gifts and that it's not just by accident that we're placed into these situations. That may seem inconvenient. I pray that we would stop comparing ourselves and realize the grace in our everyday lives. Lord, I pray for those who are seeking and wondering what this whole Christian thing means. I pray that you would show that uh, it is fully and completely compatible with reality. That this is the reality you have created. You are the creator of the universe. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the power we use to change the world according to your purposes. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.